Welcome back to the RMD podcast from Reverse Mortgage Daily, hosted by me, RMD editor Chris Clow. In this show, we speak with reverse mortgage business leaders, professionals, government officials, and thought leaders to provide listeners with the pulse of the reverse mortgage industry and all of the business and regulatory realities which affect it. In this episode, I sit down with Sarah Balling Mancini, staff attorney for the National Consumer Law Center, to talk about her work on behalf of reverse mortgage borrowers. Mancini is a reverse mortgage subject matter expert who has even been called to testify before a U.S. House of Representatives subcommittee on the topic of the Home Equity Conversion Mortgage Program and has worked on consumers' behalf to navigate issues that could arise from their loans. She's had particular emphasis on issues related to reverse mortgage servicing, non-borrowing spouse issues, and broader foreclosures. In this discussion, we touch on topics including how she became interested in reverse mortgages as a subject, what she thinks the reverse mortgage product can provide for seniors, the NCLC's efforts in working with the reverse mortgage industry, the posture of the federal government in the realm of borrower assistance during the COVID-19 pandemic, and a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy it. And now I am very pleased to be joined by Sarah Balling Mancini of the National Consumer Law Center. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, that was good. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just want to make sure. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Good, good to be with you. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, for those of uh, uh, the, the members of our audience who might not be familiar with uh, either your work or the NCLC, could you tell me a little bit about your career path and what led you to become involved at the National Consumer Law Center? Sure. So I started out in a legal services office in Atlanta, Atlanta Legal Aid, um, graduated from law school in 2007 and began working as an attorney representing low-income homeowners who were at risk of foreclosure. And of course, that was right at the beginning of the ramp up into the big foreclosure crisis, um, impacting forward mortgages primarily, at least at the beginning. It was mostly a crisis of forward mortgage foreclosures. Um, And that was so kept me very busy for a while. And over time, gradually started to have some clients who were facing foreclosure on a reverse mortgage loan or having other problems dealing with a reverse mortgage loan. And so that's really how I got started in that in this work was representing homeowners and trying to help them preserve ownership of their home and stable housing. And then over time, got involved with the National Consumer Law Center, which really provides support to attorneys acro- across the country that are dealing with consumer law issues and including mortgage and foreclosure. And of course, NCLC also does an array of other things, but I I was really drawn to the work of the organization and came on board as a staff attorney and um, reverse mortgages are one of my particular areas of focus at NCLC. Certainly. And uh, your work uh, and, and subject matter expertise of reverse mortgages is even taking you to Capitol Hill. <laughs> That's true. I had a, a great experience testifying um, in a congressional hearing about reverse mortgages. That was a challenge. It's uh, exhausting because two hours of questions and uh, it, it keeps you on your toes. But that was really fun. Particularly on a, on a pretty exacting topic. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I can imagine that. What, what's Just out of curiosity, um, are you... Uh, invited by the panel? How does that actually, what, what's what's the invitation like to, to actually come to uh, to testify before a, a House subcommittee panel? 
Yeah. So usually the committee chair or whoever's setting up the hearing, they decide on who's going to be invited to speak. And um, sometimes they reach out to NCLC asking, you know, who, who would be good people on certain topics. They know that we're very involved in that issue area. Um, so so we do sometimes get the call when they're looking for people to, to speak on a panel that's on consumer law issues. Certainly. Yeah, great. Well, um, the NCLC is one of the few organizations of its kind that takes an active role with uh, uh, in working with senior consumers about reverse mortgage products in addition to engaging with the industry itself. Um, you touched on it a little bit about what your work was like uh, before you joined the organization, and we obviously just touched a little bit on uh, what your work uh, with the product category has been, but would you be able to offer a brief overview of, the, of uh, the organization's work that interacts with reverse mortgage consumers and with the industry? Certainly. And I'll say more broadly, the National Consumer Law Center um, uses its expertise on consumer law and also energy policy to advocate for consumer justice and for low income people and disadvantaged people, especially. And so our work crosses a, a range of issues, but we do have a special focus on homeownership and um, preserving stable homeownership. And so in the realm of reverse mortgages, we have, well, first of all, we have books that we publish that are the consumer law manuals. Uh, we have over 20 different subjects that we cover that are used by lawyers and judges and policymakers around the country. And we also do training, uh, trainings and conferences for practicing attorneys that are representing low-income consumers. And we do policy work, research, writing, and testifying in Congress or providing comments on proposed regulations. Um, so really, it's it's kind of a nice, from my point of view, it's a nice opportunity to see the big picture and still to work with the advocates that are helping individual homeowners, but really to think about the policies that are at play and um, how to make reverse mortgages work well for the people that are that are borrowers and and for the industry as a whole, but really to preserve this as a good option for people um, and avoiding foreclosures whenever possible. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of curious if you wouldn't mind, especially considering the, your uh, your level of exposure to the product category over the course of your career. Uh, what was your journey toward understanding reverse mortgages and why did this become a topic of interest for you that you chose to, to pursue and obviously uh, develop expertise in? Well, it's such an interesting financial product. And um, at NCLC, we believe that reverse mortgages can serve a really important role for helping older adults age in place. And there are some consumer advocates that come at it with a lot of skepticism and think that the product can be exploitative and predatory. And, you know, there are some circumstances where the product gets misused or where there are misrepresentations made to the borrower at the outset. But on the whole, we believe this is a loan that can be really helpful to low-income older adults that where their, their house is their main asset. And if they don't have a lot of retirement savings or other assets, this can really enable them to live with dignity and stability um, in their older years and to borrow against their home equity without the risk of being displaced. Um, because otherwise, they would be trying to refinance um, a forward mortgage or get a line of credit or something that really might not be affordable to seniors who are living on a fixed income or reduced income. <clears throat> so I think reverse mortgages are just a really interesting product. I would say 
I probably got drawn to reverse mortgages in part because of things that were happening as I was becoming a more experienced lawyer. Um, that was around the time of some of the litigation around the non-borrowing spouse issues and NCLC was getting involved. And I just found it fascinating. I think um, it's legally a very interesting area of the law, but mostly it has such a huge impact on the on the older adults that need this product to maintain stable housing. Certainly. Great. Well, I, I really appreciate that overview. And I think our, our audience will find it pretty fascinating too, because uh, you know, for people who either work adjacent to reverse mortgages or the people who actually work in the business, no one has a direct path into it. So uh, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a pretty uh, fascinating uh, way to try and chart how people uh, at least become interested in the in the product category. But um, yeah, you know, we we spoke a little bit before we jumped on the recording, and you mentioned here briefly as well that a lot of your work surrounds issues related to foreclosures, non-borrowing spouses, and also. So, uh, COVID-19 relief. Mm -hmm. uh, foreclosures, you know, have been a big point that the industry has tried to work on over the past several years. How would you characterize FHA and the reverse mortgage industry's abilities to accommodate borrowers in those three areas and foreclosures and NBS and also now in COVID relief? Sure. And I guess maybe I'll start with non-borrowing spouses because that is an area where so much progress has been made. It's amazing, you know, compared to when I got started in this work and the problems were, you know, just enormous. And there were widows and widowers that were losing their homes and seemed to have no viable option at all. We're in such a better place now. And I will say that this is an area where virtually all of the problems have been resolved. And, you know, it took litigation to get here and it took a lot of advocacy by NCLC and other allies um, in the field. And I, I think even the industry was pushing for solutions because I don't believe that the reverse mortgage servicers and lenders wanted to foreclose on these widows and widowers. And they were in a bind given the, the policies that were in place at the time. Uh, but that is an area where we've seen such huge progress from the creation of the MOE, the mortgagee optional election. And then there were still some problems with it initially and people being blocked from access. And, um, you know, as recently as last year, HUD has resolved, I think, the remaining issues there. So that has been a bright spot, I would say, in the um, areas that pose a risk of foreclosure. I think with property charge defaults, there's still a lot of room for progress. I think that HUD has made some changes that we have welcomed, but there's just a lot that still needs to be done. There are so few options for workable loss mitigation for borrowers that have defaulted on property charges. And we know that there are still so many borrowers that didn't fully understand the obligation to pay the property charges um, either because the counseling wasn't clear or there were maybe misrepresentations or just people who were used to having those charges escrowed and they didn't realize I'm going to pay this directly now. And it's a large once a year cost. And sometimes the impact of that got kicked down the road a while because there was money in a line of credit or, you know, the advances were being made and the borrowers didn't know. So we really are still trying to get to a point where repayment plans can work well for people and, and other options uh, to, to really preserve that stable home ownership, especially for people who, you know, if the default has grown to a certain amount 
a repayment plan might not be viable, but if the person can pay the property charges going forward and we could avoid a foreclosure, it would still really be in everyone's best interest and would not be any more harmful to the insurance fund than a, a foreclosure because the costs that have been incurred have already been incurred. It's a sunk cost. So we just, we really do need to see HUD create some more good options for dealing with property charge defaults. And that's true both now during the pandemic and going forward. Um, and you asked about the pandemic specifically. We have seen HUD take some very important steps to help Heckam borrowers that are impacted by the pandemic. They had the foreclosure moratoria. They have the Heckam extension period, which is like a forbearance. The problem, and, and I should say, they recently clarified the foreclosure deadlines. That was extremely important in the February uh, 2022 mortgagee letter. But what we still haven't seen is a permanent solution for borrowers who defaulted on property charges and were impacted by the pandemic. There's nothing like the forward mortgage borrowers have where they can put the arrearage at the end of the loan and pick up going forward. There's just nothing like that for reverse mortgage borrowers. And, and we believe that that's an important piece of the puzzle that HUD needs to fix. Certainly. No, I, I really appreciate that overview. Um, I know that uh, that people in the government have certainly had to uh, move very quickly over the past couple of years. And uh, I imagine that the uh, the level of concern that the borrowers you interact with has also increased exponentially during that time. Um, so I, again, I really appreciate the overview. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I will just say about that, you know, borrowers are under a lot of stress the reverse mortgage borrowers usually don't realize they have a problem until they get the foreclosure notice. So to some extent, we've seen a delay in, in people even realizing that they have a problem. Um, but once they get that foreclosure notice, it's an extremely vulnerable situation. I mean, this is, these are people who, if they are displaced, their health will likely take a turn for the worst. You know, there's just so much that we, so many reasons to address the problem. And um, so, and I think the homeowner assistance fund programs that are really just getting up and running could be helpful for a lot of people, but it's not going to work well unless HUD provides some important um, guidance to the industry about the way homeowner assistance funds can be used to cure property charge arrears and to tell the servicers it's okay for you to delay a foreclosure when someone has applied for the homeowner assistance fund. That's something we've been pushing for and the industry has also pushed for that and HUD has not provided a clear statement that that's an acceptable reason to delay that first legal action to foreclose. So we, if that if the homeowner assistance fund program is going to reach the people that need it, we need that help from HUD on that issue. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because it was recently characterized in some coverage about the uh, the Texas homeowner assistance fund program getting up and running that it was very very slow. Although it just seemed like it came up a couple of weeks after other states like California, for instance, mm -hmm. and and um, and I think Maine and Vermont, much smaller states in comparison. Uh, have you guys, just based on what you've seen at the NCLC, been satisfied with the time at which it's taken to set those programs up? Or are there additional efficiencies that could have made that come up faster? I think everybody wishes that the programs had been online sooner. And I think all of the states, you know, ideally, we would have seen programs accepting applications the last quarter of 2021. And that's just not what happened. Instead, you know, the earliest programs were starting ramping up in, in really 
January, February, you know, early part of this year. And so um, it's a problem because loans are heading into foreclosure and reverse mortgages have been heading into foreclosure really even last uh, end of last year. So this is the issue is that now that the programs finally are up and running, we need all parts of government to do everything possible to stop the foreclosures for long enough that people can actually get the help. Um, and I, I think that we have been voicing that and others have been voicing it. I do believe that staff at the agencies are listening and we're just waiting to see that that next step to really put that protection in place. Certainly. Great. Well, um, I'd like to shift back to the industry for a moment before we go back to the government. But how receptive do you feel that the reverse mortgage industry has been to issues sensitive to consumers in instances where you and NCLC have reached out and engaged with those active in it, whether that be lenders or the trade association? Uh, is this industry receptive to your feedback? They really are. Actually, I will say that in all the areas I've worked in, I think in many ways, the reverse mortgage industry has been the most receptive. Uh, from what I've seen, reverse mortgage servicers and NERMLA, their trade group, the National Reverse Mortgage Lenders Association, they are responsive. And I believe that they truly want to prevent avoidable foreclosures. They have some limitations that are imposed on them because obviously there's an investor and they're and they are trying not to get penalized on their ultimate insurance claim. Um, but in general, we've had a really productive relationship with the reverse mortgage servicers and with the industry trade group. And I believe that their goal is to make this product work well for people across the board. And I think that includes preventing foreclosures whenever possible. And, and that's even in comparison with the other industries that NCLC collaborates with or, or engages with, at least. I, I think so. I mean, we have good relationships with other trade groups as well. Um, and there are a number of groups that are active on the forward mortgage side that we talk with regularly. But I do believe that the reverse mortgage servicers, um, in a way, they stand out, I think, for for trying to uh, address problems wherever we see them and for working collaboratively with us to try to make the, this program work well. Excellent. Great. Well, speaking of servicing, um, because I imagine servicing complaints have encompassed a fair amount of what you and the NCLC have seen from consumers, at least if CFPB complaint data is any indication. Mm -hmm. So I'd certainly like to ask you about some big recent industry news, and that's that reverse mortgage subservicer C-Link has been awarded HUD's reverse mortgage servicing contract for HECM loans assigned to the department. And when this news came down, the industry certainly lauded it. But what do you make of this news about the contract changing hands? And how do you think it could impact borrowers at large and your work on their behalf? I think that it's a welcome development. I think there's a lot of reason to believe that uh, this that C-Link having this contract is going to work better for homeowners. We have heard a number of complaints in the past uh, with the prior servicer. And I think that the reality is C-Link does a huge volume of work uh, subservicing for a number of other companies. And so they know the industry well, and they have a pretty good track record of addressing problems when problems come up. Um, so I do think that the reality is that it's it makes a lot of sense in a way to have an established reverse mortgage servicer filling that role. And um, there were a lot of problems before. So I think this is going to be a positive step. Excellent. Great. I really appreciate that. Well, um, sticking, well, moving back to the government briefly, um, obviously one of the biggest changes that took place over the last 
year, year and a half certainly is the transition to a new administration. And uh, with that comes a whole new set of decision makers and leaders in the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And the administration seems highly and understandably focused on serving first time home buyers and those experiencing homelessness. And obviously, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, but considering what you see, do you think the issues of seniors as it relates to your primary focus areas are getting enough attention from the federal government right now? So as you touched on, there are so many issues that have consumed the administration's attention and really responding to the COVID-19 pandemic has been a, of huge importance. So I do think the administration has taken some really important steps and really just the creation of the Homeowners Assistance Fund is a major piece of legislation that President Biden signed into law and that Treasury has been implementing um, and working with the states to implement around the country. So that's a really important step. Um, we've also seen the expansion of loss mitigation options across the board, but mostly for forward mortgage borrowers. And, and as I noted before, we still need a, a really a permanent solution for reverse mortgage borrowers who are coming out of a forbearance or HECM extension period. Um, so I think the administration has been very focused on preserving homeownership. Um, I still think there are areas where they could do more with respect to reverse mortgages specifically. And I think uh, having an FHA commissioner confirmed is going to be very important to continuing um, to implement the agency's mission and to um, really fine tune what they're doing on home home preservation and keeping stable housing. So I think they've done a lot, but certainly there are more things that can be done. And, and we're looking forward to continuing to work with this administration on um, keeping reverse mortgage borrowers in their homes. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the lack of a, of a commissioner because um, I'm curious, especially just from the work that you do and from your perspective, uh, specifically as it relates to the reverse mortgage program, what does the lack of an FHA commissioner mean for the program and for the borrowers? I think that from what I can see from the outside, the agency just needs more person power. They're just... They, there's obviously leadership is always important, um, but in, in there are a number of positions that haven't been filled. And, and so the people who are there working are working extremely hard, but they have a million fires to put out. And so they, they need to not be working at half capacity. They need to be fully loaded and firing on all, all, all systems. So I, I think that is going to make a difference um, once the new commissioner can be confirmed and get everybody fully staffed up and continue to, to work on the things that we know they care about. It's just, they're stretched very thin right now. Certainly. Yeah, of course. Well, um, considering what you've noticed since the, the inauguration last January, uh, what change has there been in the posture of HUD under the current administration in the realms of like COVID relief and, and uh, loss mitigation when compared to their predecessors? Because it looks like a lot of the same policies uh, particularly on the COVID relief front, have been extended or expanded. But uh, what are you seeing? I think that expansion is really crucial, and we can't understate the importance of that. Um, during the current administration, FHA, especially on the forward mortgage side, has really 
um, improved the loan modification options that are available for borrowers and creating streamlined loan modification options is so important. You know, during the last foreclosure crisis, people were having to submit complete applications to get any type of loan modification. And it never, it didn't work well then. And it was going to be a disaster now with the number of people who are in serious default, seriously delinquent status. So the creation of streamlined loan modification options that that are really aimed at payment reduction is huge. Now, obviously, that's on the forward side. And as far as reverse mortgages go, we haven't seen the biggest pieces of the puzzle fall into place yet. We have seen responsiveness on the foreclosure deadline issues that needed to be clarified. That's a recent um, issuance. And, and we believe that the agency will will work on the other pieces as well. But um, I think a lot of the attention has been on forward mortgage borrowers. And, and I understand there's a huge number of them in, in default. Um, but certainly we are hoping to see more for reverse mortgage borrowers too. Great. Yes. Thank you. Um, well, I can't imagine that you often have too many direct conduits to people that actually work in the reverse mortgage business themselves on the industry side. What more do you think those who work in the reverse mortgage industry can or should do in order to adequately ensure the well-being of the consumers that it serves? Well, I think that one of the most important things is clear communication in the servicing of these loans. And it's a challenging area because you're dealing with older adults, some of whom have various disabilities um, and are aging and, and, you know, a lot of things can happen. But we've really been pushing for making the servicing letters easier to read and understand, you know, plain English um, and of course other languages too when, when needed, but essentially simplifying the letters. Sometimes borrowers will get a 12 page single space letter uh, where there's the possibility of a foreclosure and no one can make it all the way through that. Right. It's a huge, huge barrier to actually reaching out and communicating. So I think effective service and communication is really one of the most important pieces to keep working on. Um, and we have heard willingness to engage on that issue. And I think um, NCLC hopes to continue some conversations around those issues. And the CFPB may have a role to play in that as well. The Office of Older Americans um, certainly pays a lot of attention to the reverse mortgage servicing industry so I think um, I think that's the biggest area that, that I'd like to focus on once we deal with the immediate COVID-19 crisis. Sure. Yeah, of course. Well, in terms of your work with and adjacent to the reverse mortgage industry, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think our audience of industry professionals, executives, and government officials should know about the NCLC's efforts or the ability of the reverse mortgage industry to serve seniors? I think we've really covered it well. I would just say that this is a product that is tremendously important for low income homeowners, especially, and that, you know, could be a larger market share than it is. So many of the people who are potentially eligible for a reverse mortgage loan are not going out and getting one. And I think continuing to improve servicing and prevent foreclosures is going to help the industry be viewed as a valuable resource and this loan product to be viewed as a valuable resource as we believe it, it should be. Um, so I, but I think we've really covered it, honestly. Excellent. Well, Sarah, again, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the RMD podcast. I really appreciate it. And hopefully at some point in the future, some interesting topic comes up and uh, we can connect on it. Maybe we can have you on again. Great. I'd love that. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Sarah.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the RMD Podcast. Again, I want to extend a very big thank you to Sarah Balling Mancini for being so generous with her time in talking about reverse mortgage issues with us. For more news and insights on the reverse mortgage industry, be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at reversemortgagedaily.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the RMD Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast content. I'm Chris Clow, and this has been a production of HW Media. The RMD Podcast is produced by Alyssa Branch. Be sure to come back for an all-new episode soon. See you next time.